continuing in John chapter 8, we started the first half, the beginning of John chapter 8, with a woman caught in adultery last week. We'll do the middle, and then we'll wrap up John chapter 8 um, next week. But our text today is John 8, 31 through 47. Let me go ahead and read that for us together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and it will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, or excuse me, yeah, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do, uh, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you understand, or excuse me, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's will. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Just down at the tip of Manhattan in the harbor there, there stands Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty is a beautiful picture of one of the foundational tenets of our country and the importance of freedom. That's this, um, that 1776, there were a group that said, we will no longer be in the enslavement under the king's rule, but we want to call out our independence and our freedom. And they said that we will be free, and which meant free to be governed by oneself, that we will govern ourselves. It's been a Statue of Liberty, not just for the United States, but it's been a picture and a statue that has been the vision for many governments and many democracies and many countries around the world. This idea of freedom, that we'll be free from any control, but instead we'll be able to choose for ourselves what we want. This is a helpful maybe idea and illustration as we begin to talk about today really the main point of this whole text. There's a lot we just read, and we won't unpack everything, but we will cover the high ideas, which really comes back to verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It brings about questions of freedom, like what is freedom? And we'll talk about some of that. We'll talk about what does it mean to be enslaved, but these are the ideas that come around the text. 
to summarize the text a little bit because he's talking about Abraham and children of Abraham. And it's really this idea, it's summarized here at the very end, is that the reason why you do not hear my words is that you are not of God. It gives this picture and the challenge of who are you belonging to, and that affects how you live your life. You got a handout. I recognize that we ran out of handouts. Um, I printed the same amount of handouts that I had the last few weeks, and we have not run out in the past, and we ran out today, which I'm grateful that all of you are here. So forgive me uh, for not having enough handouts, but there will be, be fill-in-the-blanks if you want to write them out. But here's our target statement for today in light of today's text, and we'll unpack all these ideas of freedom and slavery, and I'll be, you'll recognize I'm using these words differently than maybe when we think about American slavery um, that we abhor from our past. That's not exactly the type of slavery that's being used here, because that's not the slavery that's being used in the text, but we'll use some of that language. But here's the target statement from today's text. True freedom is being enslaved to Christ and his word. True freedom is being enslaved to Christ and his word. I want to define what I mean by freedom and enslavement. Freedom is being defined this way. The exemption from external control, interference, or regulation. So basically saying that you are being exempt, meaning that nothing from the outside has any control, interference, or regulation in your life. That's what freedom, to be free from something means that it has no control or impact in your life. Enslavement is just the opposite. It means that there is something, I'm defining enslavement and how I'm using it in today's sermon as, that there is something that is outside that is controlling what you do and how you live your lives. And so truth number one, to kind of, kind of defend the target statement that true freedom is being enslaved to Christ and his word, which is a play on words there, because oftentimes we don't think about freedom as slavery, but that's the whole idea that I think the Bible wants to challenge us with this afternoon. True freedom is being enslaved to Christ and his word. Truth number one to help defend this idea is this. We are all enslaved to something, which is simply reality. I want to lay a foundation as we begin to think about freedom and enslavement, because oftentimes I think we tend to go, I'm free, therefore I'm not enslaved. But I want us to see that you're free from something will lead you to, to some degree to be always enslaved to something else. Let me give an example of American freedom. I started with this illustration. To be free from English rule meant that, yes, we are able to freely govern ourselves, but I don't have freedom in the sense that there is still nothing outside of my control within government. I still have a whole lot of parking tickets that New York just tends to drop on me, uh, which means what? I still am under some type of enslavement in the sense of, once again, being defined not as um, kind of colonial slavery, but of people, but just enslavement being used in the sense of that there is something that impacts and controls your life, that you and I are not free from enslavement, freedom in the sense of that there is nothing outside of our control that impacts us in any way just isn't true. And so we all need to recognize that we are all enslaved to something, which is just a basic reality. So for American freedom, we were free from European king rule to now be under the control of a government that, yes, we get to vote in. Praise God for that. Yes, there's a lot of freedoms in that sense, but it still doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. In fact, we begin to think about you and I are 
to use this word enslaved to a number of things. Let's give uh, an example. Let's say um, I already gave the example that I'm kind of enslaved to parking tickets and the rules of the road. Many of you have had conversations at time. I had a conversation, let me give a specific example. I had a conversation uh, with uh, my son's baseball coach after one of my trips to Memphis. He was just asking how my trip went and mentioned just being from outside New York and he had grown up in Queens and he goes, oh man, I would love some time to live outside of, of Queens, like outside of New York. Like that's gotta be great. Like that's something I want. And I asked the question like, well, if you want to go, like why don't you go? Well, I can't because... I've got this house I gotta pay for and I've got this job and I've got this pension that I'm trying to get to and I'm going, oh, so you don't actually have the freedom to do the things you want. See, using an example that you and I are enslaved to a number of things and, I, and I'm not saying that that's bad, that it's reality. I didn't say that we're all enslaved to something which is good or all enslaved to something which is bad. It's just reality. You and I are enslaved to health and to the limitations of our health. We're enslaved to the fact that what's good to eat and not to eat for our bodies and what's good things that we can and can't do for our bodies and actions. The point is, we're controlled by something. It may be career. It may be money. It may be uh, people's perceptions. I want you to hear me in the best terms, but yesterday I had the privilege of doing a wedding. And when someone makes a vow to one another in a wedding, what they're saying is, I am giving up my freedom from singleness to be now committed in marriage. They gave up the freedom that comes with singleness, and now they've walked into a whole new freedom that comes. But the point is, is that oftentimes when we talk about freedom in the way that you and I live, because we are finite human beings who are under limitations, anytime we talk about freedom from something, it often means control and commitment we're giving over to something else. It's important for us to get, because as we move to truth number two, we are all born enslaved to sin, which is deadly. Why did I give truth number one first? Which was just a basic, logical, rational thing that I want us to comprehend. Because a lot of times when I have conversations about that we, like this text, says that we are either enslaved to sin or we are slaves over to Christ and his word, We're going to see another passage in Romans 6 in a second that talks about that. But when I give this two ideas, a lot of times people go, hey, I ignore your premise because I'm a free human being with free will to do whatever I want. I'm not enslaved to sin and to death and to the devil, and I'm not enslaved to Jesus. I'm enslaved to whatever I want to do, or I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And so if that may have been your thought, I want you to go back to truth number one and go, is that actually true? Do you actually have freedom to do whatever you want? I was and kind of researching this idea, I wanted to see what secular philosophers had to say. And one philosopher said this, if humans really have freedom, then we have a peculiar way of showing it. We spend our adult lives working at jobs we often find extremely distasteful and which make us miserable. We waste our hard-earned money on objects that we don't need or on transient experiences and this overconsumption that often now leads to environmental issues that makes our existence potentially unsustainable. Half of the planet has, has and half the planet does not have. If we look at the reality of this, just in a basic objective way, we might conclude that humans' behave, behavior is utterly bizarre. Does it not seem probable if we truly had freedom and free will that a great proportion of us would choose to do something else with our lives? 
Basic premise is something is controlling you. And the scripture plays off that reality to make this huge theological truth that is true for your entire life and eternity, which leads to truth number two. We are all born enslaved to sin, which is deadly. When we talk about the good news of Jesus, when we come in and maybe you've grown up in church or maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you've been around Christians and you hear them talk about that there's forgiveness in Jesus, a lot of times maybe your first thought is, I didn't even know I needed that. Or do I need that? Do I even agree with your premise? Do I even agree with your initial point that that I need forgiveness from something? Now, whether you agree with truth number two or not, I want to point out that this is the clear teaching of Scripture. And you've got to wrestle with, what if Scripture is right? What if what Scripture is saying is true? And that the whole story of Scripture is telling the story that at the foundation of it, explains that we are all born enslaved to sin, and the consequence of that is deadly. I want to read Romans chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, let's pause. I want to make sure we all know what Paul, who wrote Romans, is referring to. He's referring to Adam's sin in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2 gives the account of God's creation of things. And part of that creation is he made uh, mankind in his image, meaning that we have a soul, that we have a rational thought, that we're different from all the other animals in God's creation. We have the ability to have conscious thoughts and think through things and have those relationships in a way that no other animal or no other thing in God's creation can. But one of the commandments was that you are to be obedient to me. Do not eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree, which many have rightly said, is that fruit really that big of a deal? And I don't know that the fruit was that big of a deal as much as there needed to be a call to obedience and worship. And so really the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree was a call to say, hey, just be faithful to me. Walk with me and be faithful to me. And we understand that Adam and Eve were not faithful to that command. And because of that, sin came into the world through one man. That's what's being referred to, Adam's sin Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam's sin, and then with sin coming into the world, death came into the world through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, I've got to understand, just in case you're wondering, if you're new to this, um, this is the English Standard Version is being translated um, in a very literal way, right? And uh, it's being translated from the Greek, and a lot of times, just like, I, and I have very limited Spanish, so if I'm wrong with this, please correct me. But if you're giving a plural of something that involves both genders, you still have to choose a gender, and oftentimes it's the masculine gender. Is that correct, Spanish people? Okay. Well, that's what's happening here. So when it says men, it's the plural, but that doesn't mean it doesn't include women. It means mankind, all right? So, so if you're going, whew, good, this just applies to you men, uh, you know, the women in the room are like, I'm, I'm clear of this because it says men in the masculine sense. That's not true. It actually is the, in the Greek, it's the plural, which can be both men and women, but the ESV translated in a literal way, which therefore translated in its masculine form. So this includes all of us, all right? Sin came into the world through one person and death came with that sin. So therefore death spread to all mankind because what? All have sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to see what Romans 5 is clearly communicating. If you've sinned, you're born in death. It's that simple. And it's even 
Psalms 51 would be even more specific when King David says, I was conceived with that sinful nature. Meaning you and I were all born enslaved to sin, and the consequence of that is deadly. This is what Scripture teaches. Now, whether you agree with Scripture or not is between you and Scripture to wrestle with. But my job, believing that this is God's Word given to us so that we can know God and to walk with Him and to be reconciled back unto Him, I'm hopefully clearly trying to communicate this is exactly what God's Word says. And because we're finite beings, we are enslaved to something, basic neutral truth, But then scripture says, but you were born enslaved to sin, which is deadly. Romans 5, 18 goes on to say this. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. Adam, because of his sin, brought sin into the world over mankind. And you and I, from that, start with a deficit in this life. And the fact that because of his sin... And because of our own sin, because none of us are without guilt, guilt, Romans will go on to say, or excuse me, before this in Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like all have sinned. And so you and I have been born enslaved to sin, which is deadly. But this leads to truth number three, which is the main point and the idea kind of this text. And we'll come back to John 8. It's truth number three is this. We all can be enslaved to Jesus, which is freedom. We all can be enslaved to Jesus, which is freedom. I want to read Romans chapter 6, pretty much in its entirety. It's going to be on the screen, but if you want to flip to it, you can. And then I'm going to bring us back to John 8 and understanding the truths of what we've just unpacked, understanding Romans 6, as we come back, I think we'll be able to see at least the overall theme of our text in John 8 more clearly and see how our target statement is actually accurate. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read and slow down at moments but we'll read quite a bit here at the beginning. Verse five says this, Romans 6, five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So I want you to see that Romans six is talking about this transition from dead and sin to life in Christ. And he's gonna use a lot of the language from today's sermon. So that we, our, our body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. We want freedom from that enslavement to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, he's not necessarily talking about physical death. He's talking about the death when we lay down our lives to Jesus. And he's using the illustration that Jesus, when he died and was resurrected... He was uh, killing sin and coming to life. And that when we give our life to Jesus, he's using the language to say we are dead in, our life is dead in Jesus. So our life basically is given over to him. And so if we have died in a death like his, uh, then that means we'll never die again and death no longer has dominion over us. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even notice that Jesus was, is not alive to sin, but is alive to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, making you obey its passions, meaning don't be enslaved to it. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves uh, to instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? 
Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Then verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? It's kind of this idea. You give yourself to something, you are enslaved to that something. Either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. I want us to, here's, a, here's an important part of the sermon I want to make sure we get. That when Jesus in John chapter 8 talks about freedom, he is not saying you're freedom from sin in order to be whatever you want to be. But scripture clearly teaches that when we are free from sin, we are enslaved to Jesus. And that is not a bad thing. That's the point of the text. I want us to make sure that Jesus is not setting us free in order to be the gods of our own life. But he is setting us free so that he could be the God of our life. So we are either, according to verse 16, either enslaved to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We are all enslaved to something. Let's not forget that. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you're slaves to sin, but you're free from righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, which is truth number two. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then lastly, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The target statement is true freedom is being slave to Christ and his word. I want you to look again at verse 31 of John chapter 8. Come back to John chapter 8 now. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The idea of freedom is the point, which the people hearing him go, what are you talking about? We're already free. And they go on to say, we've never been enslaved to anyone, which we know is not true in Old Testament. They They were in exile in Egypt. Then they are in slavery in Egypt. Then they were in exile with Babylon and Assyria. So, and it's not like these people are ignorant. They knew their past. What they were talking about was in relationship to God. They were saying, we're of Abraham. We're of the God's covenant people. And that's because we belong to Abraham, we are free in God. That was their argument. That's what the argument they're given. That's why they're talking about Abraham and we weren't born in sexual immorality. They're like, what does that have to do anything? They're given an argument that because we're children of Abraham, we're free in God. And Jesus is going, hey, if that were true, then if you were really free in God, you would be living the obedience of God. You'd be trusting the word of God. But in fact, because you're not trusting the word of God and you're not living in that freedom, you're not actually freeing God. And it's because you're not of God, but you're of the devil. And he's there like, hold on. I didn't even know he was in the mix here. We were talking about Abraham. How do we get to talking about him? And it really comes down to the argument that Jesus is making is simply this. 
at the very end of verse 46, he says this, whoever is of God hears the word of God. I want you to get that. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, taking all of it and putting it together, here's the takeaway statement. It's simply this. Who you belong to determines your eternity. See, the beginning of the text is saying, hey, what? Abide in my word and you are truly my disciples. And if you're truly my disciples, you are free. All right, well, I want to be free. Good. Then I need to be a disciple of God. Okay, good. That means I need to abide and be faithful or enslaved to his word. Good. Now, how do I do that? He goes on to tell us, whoever you belong to is who you're going to listen to. So the question really comes down to that he's driving to his audience is, who do you belong to? They would say, hey, we belong to God because we belong to Abraham. And, he's, and God's saying, but your life and your lack of obedience and the fact that you're not listening to me means that that's not true. Now, I want to be clear that the domino effect of actions is not, oh, your obedience to God's word, therefore you have the right to belong to God. It's not how this works. It's quite the opposite. He's saying you're not obedient to me because you don't belong to me. Which is why I want us to make sure that we get, as much as we're going to talk about this idea of being enslaved to God's word, which means it controls us. God's word det determines us, what we do and how we live our lives. Our first value here at New Hope is reading scripture. We ultimately turn to the Bible as our ultimate guide for life and truth. That means in this sense, we're enslaved to God's word. But our enslavement to God's word is not what gives us the right to become children of God. But because we are children of God by God's grace, we listen to God's word and that is manifested in our obedience to God's word. So if you're walking away from today's sermon going, man, I'm enslaved to something. I need to be enslaved to God's word in order for God to love me. You're missing the whole idea. Yes, we need to be enslaved to God's word. But that should be a byproduct of the fact that first and foremost, we belong to Jesus. And the question that we must wrestle with is who do we belong to? And I hope from the three truths of today's sermon, you belong or are enslaved to someone and something. And scripture would say clearly that you are all of us were born. And at one time, all of us belonged to and were slaved to sin and death. And if we belong to sin and death or are enslaved to sin and death, and then therefore we're going to live out that in our lives. But because of God's grace and because of his mercy, he offers us to become children of him. This was our memory verse, right? The first 13 today, John 1.13. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Meaning God gave spiritual birth to us, allowed us to become his children, belong to him, and therefore we will listen to his word and follow it out. If that's true, some of you may be in here today, and this is just truth, no accusation, no condemnation, but just truth. If you're listening to God's word and you go, bogus, my job is not to convince you of its truth. My job is to point you to Jesus and pray that he radically changes your life. Because here's the thing, unless you're a child of God, you will not understand God's word. 
to some extent, that's what this is saying. He's saying, it's what he tells the people here in John 8. Hey, y'all don't listen to me because at the end of the day, it's not because what I'm saying is confusing, but you don't believe it because you're not born of God. That's why the whole idea of John chapter 3 even talks about being born again. And so the question I ask you is, who do you belong to? And have you ever been born again in Jesus? Meaning, have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus and said, I no longer wish to be enslaved to sin and death, but instead, Jesus, I choose to be enslaved to you. Lastly, and I'll close with this, one of our marks of maturity is this banner, live surrender to the lordship of Jesus. That's a recognition that when we are free from sin, we are not free to do whatever we want to do but we've been set free from sin to do what God has called us to do. And that our freedom from sin is enslavement to him, for him to be our king, for him to be our Lord. And here's the beautiful thing is he is a good master and he is a loving savior. And so we in our Western idea hate the idea of anything controlling us. Like, no, nothing will control me. But I wanna tell you true freedom is found in allowing God to control you. True freedom in this life is recognizing that something's going to control you, your career, your money, something. But if you let God control you, he puts everything else in its rightful place, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And so I beseech you and I beg you, would you hear these words and would you understand the main point of today's sermon and would you live it out that true freedom is being enslaved to Christ and his word. Let us live free and let us live free by walking and being controlled by God and his word on a daily basis. Let's pray. Jesus, we are just grateful that everything we've just talked about, we couldn't know if you didn't share it with us. That's why we believe this is your word, that inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's, 2 Timothy says that all scripture is breathed out by God, that all of scripture, even though it was written down by man, was inspired, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they wrote down the exact what you want us to hear. And we believe that from John chapter eight and Romans six, we hear today that we are all enslaved to something. And all of us begin this life enslaved to sin and death. And that breeds an eternity away from you. But the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to stay there. That because you loved us, that you sent your son, to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin and death, to die the death that we deserve, to live the life that you deserved. And that scripture says that when we put our faith and trust in you, we will be saved, meaning we're saved from what? We're saved from slavery of sin and death, and we're set free unto you. So Father, I pray over this room, and I pray if there's anyone in here that they would not measure their Christianity by necessarily obedience, even though obedience will be evidence that they're of you, but they'll simply go, hey, what makes me a child of God is that I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus, meaning my life is surrendered to Jesus. Whatever you want, Jesus, here's my life. Let it be all for you and for your glory. That our life is surrendered to you, the Christian teaching is not just, Jesus, that you forgive us of our sins, but you forgive us of our sins and you call us to surrender our lives to you, that you are a good and worthy king. And so, Jesus, I pray that we be a church that lives surrendered to you. And that as we belong to you and as we live surrendered to you, that your word would transform everything in our life.
that we would be a people that are enslaved to you and to your word, that we, yes, would be obedient to your word, and we'd walk in your word as a response to the fact that we already belong to you. And so who we belong to determines our eternity. So Jesus, I pray over this room that every person in here would be able to say, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. So Spirit of God, would you work in their hearts and their lives? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.